Morning, Glory America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. It's Thursday, and normally the Hillsdale Dialogue is Friday, but because of scheduling issues, Dr. Arn has agreed to meet with me on a Thursday morning. It's like changing class schedule. It confuses all the students, and it's not to be... Uh, it's not to be undertaken lightly because Steelers fans are going to wander in here and think that they're going to get uh, Chuck Todd and they're going to hear Larry Arn. They're going to think that Chuck Todd has become Larry Arn. It's going to confuse the heck out of him. Good morning, Dr. Arn. How are you? Lord, that's a parish, the thought. Chuck, uh, well, Todd, uh, Chuck Todd and Larry Arn changing places. That's it. You're, you're, you are in <laughs> Chuck Todd's spot right now. And so we, we, can you give us your rundown on who your guests will be this weekend? <laughs> It'll be some particular slime about going on in Washington, D.C. Well, I want to begin, uh, we're talking about the Odyssey, and I've got to tell you, uh, Stephen Smith, who used to be a professor and was an amiable, fine guy, and then you made him a dean. Yeah. And so yeah. You, you promoted him to to a bureaucracy. Well, uh, but he's, he's still a professor, or else he would go completely to seed. He, he did not go to seed last week. He was terrific. You have a hard act to follow. He knows and loves the Iliad in a way that I know you love, but I don't know if you know it as well as Stephen Smith. No, I don't. No. Well, well, anybody does. We'll work on that. We're going to begin, though. You sent me a clip, which I have not yet heard. We're going to play Boris Johnson. Where is this from, by the way? He's on a, it's on American television. He's being interviewed on a, on a set with a, a woman interviewer, and he breaks into Greek. He breaks into the opening, and he, he goes on for a long time. You might not want to play it all, but uh, he quotes from the beginning of the Iliad in Greek at length oh. and, and in a cadence that is like Homer's, and with real emphasis and facility. I mean, oh. it's, it's a tour de force. Okay, cue it up. Boris Johnson on the Hillsdale Dialogue at the uh, direction of Dr. Lurian. Hit it. It's tough. And when they are, and when, when they are, if they, are ever, if they ever find themselves stranded in the bush, <laughs> say in, in Arnhem Land, or in Cappadoose with a, with a crocodile at the, at the, at the foot of the, of the, um, the mangrove. And, 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 they are, and, they are, and they are up the mangrove and the, the crocodile is at the foot and there is absolutely nothing for it but to hang on. And all they, all they can do is think of all the things that they can remember. Do you want me to shut up? I'm going to shut up in a minute. All they, all they can do is keep themselves uh, conscious by reciting all the poetry that they know. They will not do better than to preserve, to pickle, to conserve in their brains forever the greatest uh, classics of every such as the Iliad. And that is what I do. When I'm in trouble, I recite to myself, Now, <laughs> Apollonos. 
I trade is. <laughs> Tikala, you can made is a kind of lucite moi filet. Kayagla dexire pointer. Ah, look at trade is a gamemnon a hind of the fumo. A la cacosa fee. Crataron de muso ne tele. Mesegeron. Coilesenego paraneus de kikeo. E nun de thu nunt. E husteron autiseonta. Menu toy u cries me. Scapetron kai stemma se yoya. Tendego. Uluso. Prin min. Kai geras a pacin. He metero when a oiko. In arge tail of a patris. Histone poik commonen. Kai emon lekos. Ante osen. Ho zepha. Edai sen tageron. Kaya paisito muso, be dakeon parasina poso poloflu boyo salasas. Enf apaneusiseon polerto hogeraios, apolone anactos ton eokmos tekileto. Cluthimoi argirotox, hos cluthen antibebesas. Smintiu. Kai tenedoio ife anathois. Tisai an danaoi emadakroa soisi belesin. And so on. I could go on. Oh my gosh, Larry Arn. Yeah, so uh, there's a bunch of Greek scholars who comment on this thing in YouTube. It's easy to find. And uh, a couple of them fault him for... Uh, missing a couple of lines, <laughs> but everybody <laughs> agrees. It's awesome, and it's from the very beginning of the book. I'll, I'll, I'll read the first few lines that he read in Greek. Uh, Sing of wrath, goddess, the deadly wrath of Peleus, the son Achilles, that brought sufferings by the thousands down on the Achaeans and hurled so many sturdy souls to the realm of Hades, souls of splendid warriors, while they themselves were left for dogs and all manner of carrion birds to feast on, as the will of Zeus went driving toward its goal. Start your song from the moment when the first two stood face to face in open strife, Agamemnon, Lord of Men, and Godlike Achilles. <laughs> so, that's, he, he, uh, he went to Eton and to uh, uh, Oxford, and they must have made it, he, he must have been a very good Greek scholar, because that's impressive. What yeah, Dr. Arn, I want to pause here for two things. One, uh, the YouGov survey that came out yesterday, yesterday, shows the conservatives with 37% of the vote, Labor 22%, the Liberal Democrats 18%, the Brexit party at 11 and the Green 5. If he delivers Brexit, Boris Johnson will win a crushing victory at the next polls, because this will just go up if he delivers Brexit. And I'm beginning to think that his wonderful, winsome buffoonishness has hidden a massive intellect because you can't do that without a brain. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. And there's another evidence of it uh, av available to people who don't read Greek. He's uh, confident in the middle of all this mess. In other words, he's got the mind to see his way through it. And, and you know, it's an enormous achievement. It's, it's very like, well, it's, I'm not going to call him Abraham Lincoln, but Lincoln's achievement was to focus the issues of the Civil War down to the issue of slavery in comparison to the commands of the Declaration of Independence. And that, he had to sort through a million contrary 
opinions and strains and arguments and interpretations of the meaning of the conflict, both before and after the, and during and after the war. And, and he made it simple. Well, Boris Johnson, is, he's got one simple point. More people have voted for this thing, to leave the European Union, than have ever voted for anything in Great Britain. And if we don't do it, it raises the question, who rules? And I think he's winning on that. And I think, they, they, I, I think that uh, it's, it's a great sign, because the thing is, the European Union is a, is a bureaucratic management society. And it's to manage everything, right? And its system of accountability to the people is so weak as to be almost non-existent. And, and so they think, you know, it'll hurt the economy. We won't be able to manage and all that stuff. But it, it does come down to a simple thing. Do you have the right to consent to the government over you? And he's just brilliant on that point. Two nights ago... Democrats gathered on a stage in Columbus, Ohio, and debated for three hours. I don't think any of them could remotely approach Boris Johnson in capacity. Maybe Pete Buttigieg, himself a Rhodes Scholar and no small intellect, but this is a sort of training that is not generally available anymore, is it? Yeah, I think uh, if you caught the introduction to that, he's, he's asked a question about what do you do in times of trouble? <laughs> and he imagines some, some boys caught up in a tree having to stay awake because there's something that will eat them if they fall out. And so what they do is recite poetry to keep awake and to keep their souls stirred up, right? That's, that's, and, he, and this, he says, is what I do. Wow. When we come back, we're going to talk about what Churchill did when he got thrown into the mine or or hid in the mine, because memorization, there's an interesting aspect of Joseph Sachs' introduction to the Iliad that goes along with the memorization moment that Boris Johnson just put on display. As we talk about the Iliad with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is on Thursday today, not Friday. Thank you, Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, for indulging that schedule change. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. All of our conversations dating back to 2013 are found at hughforhillsdale.com, but all of the wonderful online courses are available at hillsdale.edu, and you can sign up for the free speech digest once a month. Old-fashioned snail mail. Imprimus will come to you. I'm sure it will have... Justice Clarence Thomas Chapel dedication talk in it soon, if it isn't already in it already. Am I right about that, Dr. Arn? Watch it. Okay, watch it. That's a, that's a good mm-hmm. injunction. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, when we went to break, I just played Boris Johnson's clip that you sent us memorizing. It reminded me that Winston Churchill, I think, I'm doing this from memory, found himself hiding in a mine during the Boer War and reciting memorization. Am I right about that? Yeah, he had a tremendous... Uh, reservoir of things that he memorized. He had a really great memory, and he focused on beautiful things. And so, yeah, he, you know, he's uh, a famous story about him as a scholar. He was a he was a scholar of mixed result, but he astonished them at Harrow in a recitation contest because he rec- he recited from the lays of Macaulay all around and for pages the story of Horatius at the Gate. And it just was, you know, it just wowed him. And, uh, 
you know, they, uh, Don got up and walked over to the bookshelf and got the book and found the place and started following along. And people were looking at him, and he nodded his head. Yes, huh. he's saying this right. Did, so, did Lincoln have that capacity? Oh, yeah. Uh, Lincoln, uh, he, uh, Lincoln, it was a common thing. Lincoln and Churchill both had Macbeth basically memorized. And uh, there are stories of Lincoln. Uh, in Lincoln's day, uh, Shakespeare is sort of codified now. There's a, the text has settled down, and it's sort of known. What, there's a settled, you know, and there are small differences in the various versions that got around, because if you just think about when Shakespeare wrote and the time that passed, and uh, printing was, you know, more challenging back then. Anyway, Lincoln knew the various editions, and he would go to performances, and then he would get into conversations two or three times with people in the White House, and he would say, well, I like this, and he would go get some page and say, this is better, and he'd go get another and, 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 and read the same thing in another. This is more true, he would say, and he, he was a critic of the performances and, uh, you know, big memory. And, now, now uh, that raises the question, which is tied into Joseph Sachs' introduction. Why memorize? Well, because uh, anything you memorize, you always have with you. And you will find that you will come to understand it better over time. I mean, first of all, it can inspire you in a hard moment. But also, the things that you know that you can remember, uh, those are the things that will come to you. And you'll just find over the years, if you keep the memory alive, that those are the things you really understand. And, and you've thought about them from 18 different directions over time. And there's a great pleasure in that. And there's a great depth of understanding in that. That's why you do it. Now, we have left behind the practice of obliging young people to memorize. I think uh, the night before Christmas is the last thing I memorized. Uh, I used to know a few speeches for speech and debate in high school 40 years ago. What? What happened in American education that we abandoned that? Uh, well, we think it's constraining uh, to memorize rote learnings and high disrepute. And uh, rote learning at the peak has never, I mean, you just think what Boris Johnson did, either he was required to do it or he did it, was learn Greek well enough to read it and remember it and memorize long passages. He ends that long discourse with, I could go on. Yes. Right? So, so, and so what did he get for that? Did that make him a slave? Because that's the point. The point is, what we think in school now is that the purpose of, of uh, learning is for you to figure out your own reality. And that means you can make up anyone you want. That is, it's so inimical to actual education. We come back, we're going to talk about Joseph Sachs, introduction to the Iliad. There are points relevant to this and to your life and our politics today. Don't go anywhere. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is on a Thursday this week. And what a Thursday it is as Brexit gets close to being a reality, or at least a hard Brexit if it all falls apart at the last minute. Boris Johnson reading the Iliad. We began talking about the Iliad last week at the Hillsdale Dialogue. My guest is Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Are your students obliged to memorize the Iliad or just study it, Dr. Arn? Everybody studies it. 
And, you know, I, I like to say uh, standards are very high at Hillsdale College, and the core curriculum is very ambitious. But in the beginning, you had to know Latin and Greek to enter the college. <laughs> so, huh. so we have not matched that performance yet. Okay, well, I, I, I want to go to Joe Sachs, the translation that you recommended to me, and I ordered the book up, and I, and, and I of course, left it behind, so I'm operating from memory, but there are some things that stand out from his introduction that I want to talk to you about. First of all, he urges early on in his introduction, scholars are wonderful, scholars are great, scholars help us understand, but read the poem. Uh, and this is, I don't know if he's a Straussian, which is a technical term for people who are listening. It's a particular approach to political theory, but that is something a Straussian would say. I've never been smart enough to be a Straussian, but I know that that's what they say. Is he a Straussian? And is that what he's saying? Uh, well, he was, uh, he, he, in this book and many of his books, he gives great credit for his understanding to a man named Jacob Klein, who was his colleague at St. John's and who, who was a friend and colleague of Leo Strauss for decades. Uh-huh. So he's, he, you know, the, what Straussianism is a means in the general sense, there are controversies about what it means, but it means an attempt to recover the past as it was, and especially the past great thinkers, because the modern thinkers have gone crazy. And... There's a humility about that, but you have to remember about Leo Strauss that he was a Jew, and his teacher among his teachers was Martin Heidegger, a great mind of the 20th century, who was a Nazi. And so Leo Strauss had to flee for his life from his teacher, and he decided to start over. And, and, and to begin at the beginning, and I'm not sure if Strauss ever wrote about the Iliad, but here are a couple things I remember again from memory, because I don't have it in front of me. Joseph Sachs says, don't worry too much about dates. The Trojan War occurs around 1200 B.C. Homer gets written down sometime in the 8th century in the 700s. And we don't need to know much other than that it lasted for 500 years without being reduced to writing. Which means there were people who, like Boris Johnson, could repeat it again and again. And it's an epic poem. But this this should not surprise us, Larry Art. Yeah, and probably, uh, so Sachs quotes a great scholar who set out, I can't remember the name of the man actually, in this introduction, and who set out to prove that the uh, Iliad evolved, and that it, there are many versions of it, and it's greatly changed over the years, and many people contributed to it. And he reaches the conclusion that there was one singer in about 700 to 800 B.C., and and the Iliad was taken down by, dict- in, by dictation from him. And that means we're invited to think of this, and this is just a better way to read, whether it's true or not. We're uh, uh, invited to think of this as a work of art with a coherence to it. And, and you, know, the, you know, the old debate about did Shakespeare write Shakespeare's plays, or Francis Bacon or somebody else? And, uh, uh, and Professor Jaffa, my teacher, used to always say, well, doesn't matter. Whoever did it was pretty good. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's right. Jaffa usually is. Uh, now, the other thing I remember, and I, I think I'll probably carry this for the rest of my life, is that the Iliad is mostly about dying well, and that Achilles' death is not in the book, although it is the driving force since he articulates that he's been given a choice. 
a long life or a short, glorious one with a, an epic death. And he chooses the former. I mean, he chooses the latter. But everybody around him dies, dies, dies. And most of them are described with great specificity. I'd never heard this before, that when there are a few groups of Trojans who are mowed down anonymously, people are shocked because Homer is trying to give every person the dignity of their own death. So this is really a book about dying well. That's right. And uh, it's, uh, Sachs culminates his review with the claim that uh, uh, the Iliad is about all of life. In fact, about all of nature, including the divine. And, and the people are named, the soldiers are named. Uh, one, the one shining exception, by the way, is when uh, Achilles finally turns his wrath loose and kills many, many Trojans, and they are unnamed. And that's different from the typical thing, whereas when, when Homer starts to tell that somebody stabs somebody, you have to go back and, to the homes of both those people and to, to learn about how they grew up and what their excellences were and what their armor was like and all that, right? And that's because you're to mourn. You're, you're, to, be, you're, you're to revel in their feats, and you're to mourn the losses. And even the bravest of the soldiers, even Achilles, he, Achilles' great choice is the choice we all faith, faith, face, and that is, shall we live well or shall we live a long time? And those are not necessarily incompatible, but in matters of courage, they very much can be. And so and Achilles is not like Hector, the, the Trojan hero. Hector is afraid of something. He actually runs from Achilles, but it's not really Achilles so much he's afraid of. He's afraid of shame. Achilles is not afraid of that. Achilles is beyond shame. But Achilles is afraid that he won't find a death glorious enough and that cutting off his life, he says once, Sachs quotes him, nothing matters so much as my life. He's the archetypal man from a certain point of view, right? He's yep. not, there, there are no philosophers in, this, uh, in, the, in the Iliad except maybe Homer. And, uh, uh, and the whole Iliad might be a philosophic work. But uh, from the point of view of, of an active man, Achilles is the archetype and, uh, of the whole thing. And the point is, he is torn because and uh, it's also important that Achilles mother is a goddess Thetis uh, a sea god and uh, and and so he lives between the gods and men and the whole Iliad sack says takes place on the boundary between the gods and the men and, is, and so he he Achilles has this great choice and I believe it's actually true that Achilles' rage or wrath that drives the whole plot of the, of the Iliad because Achilles, first for a long time, won't fight because of his rage or wrath, and then he does fight because of his rage and wrath, and after he fights successfully and banishes his enemy Hector, he still has a rage or wrath, and only at the end is that resolved. And, right. and, uh, and so... What is the cause of the rage or wrath? And that is this question he faces. What is the most divine thing for me? 
to continue to live or to find a great death. And uh, he's torn by that. There is also, and I struck by this again and again because of the coincidence of events, Attorney General William Barr went to Notre Dame last week and he gave a speech about how secular absolutism is destroying the country. That's in a nutshell. Not He's not speaking on behalf of Christianity or Judaism or Islam or any, he's just saying secularism is destroying everything. This society cannot last unless it believes in God or gods, right? Because unless it believes in a higher purpose and a higher divinity. And of course that lines up perfectly with the Iliad where the gods are omnipresent. It's the least secular book I think you could read. Yeah. And see, these gods are, first of all, gods, uh, part of Barr's point is, uh, the, the idea of the divine or the perfect is necessary to make sense of the world as we see it, because we think some things are better than others. Whatever standard makes one thing better than another makes you look for the perfect example of that thing or the, per, or the perfection of that thing, and that just leads you up to God. That's what classic philosophy has much to do with. But then uh, if you give up on that idea... What you enter is actually what, what, you know, we're going to go, we're on our way to either brave new world, a pleasant society where life is completely unserious, or, and, and you know, therefore human beings are truncated. They don't get to live their lives. And, uh, or to 1984, where, yep. you know, those are the options, right? And, where you uh, get to rage every day during a period of time certain. I'll be right back with Dr. Lurie. We're going to talk about the gods and the fellow who makes the armor in just a moment. Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. Last segment of today's Thursday Hugh Hewitt Show. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. It's early. Usually it's the last radio hour of the week. Today it's the last radio hour of Thursday. Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, is my guest. He turned me on a few weeks ago to Joseph Sachs' introduction to the Iliad, which we've talked about before and we'll talk about again. And Steve Smith and I talked about the poem itself last week and we may be doing that again next week but this introduction larry i have never understood so much hephaestus am i saying it correctly the god vulcan yep hephaestus makes armor for achilles it's never been revealed to me that he mourns having to do so until i read this introduction because he knows it is to take away the sting of death to make it glorious and in fact all of the gods are deeply kind of sympathetic characters in Sax's view, except maybe Apollo. They they mourn with men. They celebrate with women. They're they're just active in the life of every Greek, and I think that is the anti secular world. Well, it is, and and uh, and these these are gods of a specific kind and a very unusual kind, because they live just like us, without all the trouble, and they. They quarrel only up to a point because they know Zeus is the mightiest and because they know what happened when, when the gods split and the titans. Uh, my son-in-law was telling me last night that the original titans, Kronos and such, they represent nature. And Zeus and Hera, his wife, and Apollo and Athena, those are the main ones, and Ares, who's very mean and always causing trouble killing people. Um, they, 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 those ones represent a kind of civilization. They have a government among themselves and restraint among themselves. And on the other hand, they don't, 
they, they don't have any trouble in their lives. They can do whatever they want to do. And so they sort of both play with us, sport with us, and sympathize with us. And they directly affect and enter the battle often. And, and uh, the whole plot of the thing, by the way, comes from two things. It comes from the interplay of because everything comes from two things. There's always a human thing and there's always a divine thing. So the human thing that begins the thing and sets up the whole plot is uh, Agamemnon, who's a pompous fool and a brave man, and Achilles have an argument. And Achilles gets into a wrath and won't join the battle. And then Athena, who loves Achilles and loves Athens, named for her and the Greeks, uh, she makes a deal. She's very good with Zeus. She flutters her eyebrows at her, or eyelashes at her dad, and he'll do whatever she wants. You know how daughters are like. And so she says, let there be a great and terrible battle and slaughter to be resolved only when Achilles finally takes the field. And so that's the reason for all this tragedy, is for the glory of Achilles in Athena's mind. And, you know, uh, uh, other gods don't like that. They're partial to the Trojans, and Zeus goes back and forth. And so that, that's what makes it go. And, uh, and, and then in detail, uh, you know, in every battle... You know, at one point, Diomedes, who's a great hero, and in these books that we're supposed to be reading this week, but we'll do them some other time, uh, four and four through seven, Diomedes is a great warrior. You know, after after Achilles, the great Greek warriors are Diomedes and and Ajax, greater Ajax. There are two Ajaxes, and uh, and Diomedes actually fights Apollo, and then Athena saves him because Apollo is very strong. But he actually manages to wound Ares. And so, you know, the gods are immortal, and they're all-powerful, except not quite. <laughs> wow. It, it, it's, it's actually fascinating. And I wonder if the Iliad is too hard for our modern education system to understand and grapple with because of stuff like, you know, you always get the idea that ancient peoples relied on gods to explain their problems away. That is clearly not what's going on here. It's clearly telling you how to live. Yeah. And it's, and see, if you, you know, uh, my earlier point is you are required by logic to imagine God or gods because you need them to make sense of the universe. And, and these gods, uh, their nature sets up a kind of conversation between the gods and men that let you compare the two modes of being, and then better to understand both. And because the gods are different, and yet the same. And see, all in 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 the uh, in the theological cosmos of Homer, all human life ends in misery, great and small. Hades is just not a good place. And you know, there's lots of they, and they all know. All the Greeks, they know that. They're going to end up there no matter what they do. And in some cases, that, that uh, tends to cowardice, few in the Iliad. And in some cases, that tends to boldness, right? I'm going to go anyway. Might as well go well. Might as well go. And when we pick up next week, I hope with both you and Dean Smith, I think that would be fascinating. Chapters four through seven. 
We will expand this forward. The Joseph Sachs introduction, well worth getting the book. Go look it up online. Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. Thank you. What a conversation. Thank you, Boris Johnson, as well. More tomorrow, America. Thank you, Adam, Ben, and Dwayne on the next Hugh Hewitt Show.